1: Sliva, and this is the Casual Fridays REI Podcast. Today, we're talking to uh, Mike Zlotnick. He's a real estate investment expert, author, and coach. Before we dive into that, though, let's talk about Priced.com. Priced is a powerful online web application that simplifies the acquisition process for real estate direct mail marketing campaigns. Priced provides research tools and enables you to identify locations to mail, price your data, analyze over 1 million comps, pull owner records, and scrub your data to produce a ready to mail campaign list. Head on over to Price.com forward slash Casual Fridays REI to start your seven-day free trial and get discounted prices today. That is P-R-Y-C-D.com forward slash Casual Fridays REI.
0: Yo, happy Friday. Hey, what's up? Man, I'm excited about today, and I think it's because of the name of Mike's podcast, The Big Mike Fund, and I'm, I'm ready to talk to Big Mike because I, I think that this is going to be one of those shows that gets our mind going.
1: I mean, when you carry it, it says and and like our show notes it's like uh he's known in real estate circles as Big Mike due to his stature. So you I mean you got to have a you got to have we don't know it doesn't say how what kind of stature he has but I'm hoping you know live live up to it. Mike
0: told him I can ask him, <laughs> him one bizarre question. Mike, how tall are
2: you? I'm 64.
0: 64. Six four. That's oh, big yeah. and that's bigger and than me. Big
2: so I'm going to say Big yeah. Mike, welcome
0: to the show. How are you, sir?
2: Thank you guys for having me. And I'm yeah, a on heavy side. We're, we're
0: glad to have you. You know, it's uh if you could just kind of give us the the elevator pitch of of Mike and who you are, so our listeners get to know you and and kind of understand why we want to have you on a show.
2: I come from Russia with love. Well, okay, not, not quite. I, I I I I immigrated in 1989 to the United States. I'm a U.S. citizen, a U.S. patriot. Live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, 21 years married, four kids, and a cat, fifth child. <laughs> um, a big guy, six four, on a heavy side, and. Actually, the name Big Mike kind of stuck through the... You might have heard about the Collective Genius Mastermind. A lot of guys in the real estate go. So I'm a super veteran. I've been in the group. And they just start calling me Big Mike or Big Russian. I don't know. I'm not... You know, I'm more of a U.S. citizen than... (laughs) But kind of the name stuck. So one of my good friends, Corey Boatwright, you might know Corey. um, He, you know, when I was thinking to start a podcast, he said, let's call the podcast Big Mike Fund. You're a fund manager. (laughs) So it's called Big Mike Fun Podcast. That's how that came to life. But uh, I'm a fund manager. I manage a family of funds and um, love real estate. It's my passion. Uh, Previously, I had a career in IT, almost 15 years, successful career, but found that real estate is a lot more fun than being a software executive. So here here I am. Yeah, man, it's it's awesome. And so...
0: Now, it, Brooklyn, New York kind of puts you in the, the forefront of the, the COVID pandemic, the, what's going on. And I mean, it sounds kind of like you've, from what we've seen in our show notes, that you've kind of found what's hot and what's cold right now in today's market with COVID. And uh, can, you, can you talk to that a little
1: bit?
2: Sure. I live in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and um, I don't know it's, it's, it's New York City. Unfortunately, COVID has hit New York City pretty hard. And we've had you know, a number of people left the city, and we've had obviously the closures from the mayor and the governor, and um, a lot of hypocrisy is coming from the governor, as, you, <laughs> as you've seen lately. I'll leave the politics alone. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we do a lot of investing outside of New York. So we still love New York. So we do some investing here, uh, but the, the hottest subject today is conversion of hotels to affordable multifamily housing. So if you want to pick one hot topic, one something something interesting to talk about, I believe it's sort of a land of opportunity. Uh, it's sort of pandemic-created or pandemic-accelerated trend. So I, I don't know your audience, but if they're real estate investors, they're looking for interesting deals, try, try to find a good multifamily deal. It's very competitive, uh, hard to find. But if you can find this functional hotel and you can convert it, you can get into the same asset class well below the construction cost at a great price point. So just, you know, an idea that seems to be uh, hot out there and we've been investing in that sector.
0: Um, so. Yeah. And I, I love that topic. And I was actually having that conversation with somebody earlier today. Like if you wanted to write your own check in real estate right now is affordable housing and finding that key to it. And you know, it's like fate put you here with me today to talk about this a little bit more. And I, and I'd like to talk a little bit more in depth. So, uh, of that, because you're right, construction costs are through the roof right now and we're in Texas. So, We've opened things back up. People are flooding to Texas, and house prices are going through the roof. And so, when we're looking for deals, like to to make affordable housing, and you've mentioned dysfunctional hotels, like what do we look for, and like what's a key a piece of advice for us there?
2: Sure. So, yeah, exactly. Construction cost uh, through the roof, um, repositioning an existing asset is hard. And when you take uh, on an empty asset, it's easier to to, uh, complete the the redevelopment and convert than to to do a gradual path of uh, value-add multifamily. So the simplest and easiest uh, path to that is look for extended-stake hotels. These uh, appear to be uh, lower time and lower cost to convert. Uh, some of them may have naturally built kitchenettes in, uh, in them. The other key consideration is location. If they are located already in the residential neighborhood, um, proximity to colleges, universities is great because, again, affordable housing, people move off the campus, go um, into, it, it doesn't have to be student housing, but it's more affordable than the, the campus living. Yeah. Uh, so it has to be a natural fit, Um Extended stay doesn't have to be extended. We've invested in a few of the hotels that look like motels, like Ramada. You can imagine what Ramada looks like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Those could could work out too. Studios uh, present a very interesting opportunity where it's well below the average market rent, but you have small space. You get your privacy. You don't have a big place, but hey, it's your neck of the woods. And and, and, uh... so those are kind of basic starting uh, characteristics. Obviously, um, economics and the math behind uh, what is it going to cost to complete the renovation, what is it going to be worth after the repair, it's going to drive the price you can pay. So look for the hotels that are struggling, look for the empty parking lots, look for, um, uh, you know, you could pull data, obviously, if if, if a hotel is, is a foreclosure in a hotel, that's a good case scenario, right? I mean, it's a distress. So as much as possible, distress or poor performance they create a motivation for the seller to take action.
1: So <clears throat> one thing I, I, I mean, you just touched on it right then. I started thinking about the answer this, but the ho- type of hotels that you would convert an extended stay, they already have a, a bedroom built in, right? Cause like if you think exactly. of the Radisson, like you said, it, if you converted it, it's, it's in studio um, layout, right? There's no split bedrooms. And so would the whole hotel convert to just like a studio apartment type of place.
2: Yeah, you get two flavors. It's exactly the right question. So you got the extended stay, like residency. That that is a classic example. It's a Marriott flag, but it's uh, some of them are you know they all owned locally. If, if if an owner is struggling, uh, they they may need a, a solution to their problem. So the conversion is natural. They have one bedroom. They have sort of a mini living area and a, and a kitchen, right? I mean that that's that's a mini apartment right there. Uh, that's your ideal target. Then you go into secondary targets, essentially. mentioned ramadas uh, that looks like motel you basically have external access they could be two three four floors depending on on the size most typical is two-story buildings and uh, they would be converted to studios that you uh, you enter from this the the same way you would enter hotel rooms Uh, somewhere in the middle you might have a pool and and, and some kind of uh, facilities for hotel amenities so Those type of assets are a little bit easier. Conversion against studios um, appear to be in in good demand uh, if you are near transportation or uh, near a a student, you know, educational universities, uh, colleges, and then uh, workforce housing. A, a, A hotel like this in a class A property neighborhood would not be a good fit. But if you're in B, B minus C, it's a decent conversion because affordability it's all about affordability and if, if the supply of uh of product is limited and the other interesting thing is zoning uh does the hotel have natural right to multifamily living by, by uh by zoning if it does the conversion path is a lot easier versus you have to rezone go go into the city and get a permission
1: yeah is there a standard for what makes affordable living like thousand dollars a month it's affordable nationwide or does it depend on state by state city by city or
2: you already know the answer <laughs> <laughs> right and of course it's, it's place by place affordability in new york is drastically different than affordability in texas right yeah. i come to texas a lot and it's a very different world right it's uh, so it's all local you have to look at the average rent in a given area and what would be affordable is below average right and it doesn't have to be necessarily a difficult area it's just uh, in this area, every trend maybe a thousand bucks. Affordable maybe 800, maybe 7 750 for a studio versus one bedroom. Uh, of you know 950, a thousand. Really depends on the area. Wow. So if we are scared to take on a hotel version
0: by ourselves, is your fund open for people like us that are interested in it but don't quite
2: know how to do all that legwork? Exactly. So yeah, we're, uh, thank you for bringing up this point. Uh, this the reason people invest with us. we we'll provide a few key benefits. One is the diversification. So we spread the risk among many projects. Um, at this point, uh, we have a couple of Ramadas, one Best Western, a uh, couple of residents in and so on. And they're all over the map. We have New Braunfels, Texas. We have South Bend, Indiana. We have Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We have Mesa, Arizona. Because, not because we particularly chose to go there, but the opportunities open up there. And if you get, if you, when you're marketing, you're finding a good project and you have capability in that town and the city, you wind up doing the project there. It it has happened in the past. So uh, we are all over, not all over, but we're diversified. And the other benefit is uh, we have institutional level waterfall, so we, our funds offer, Uh, For example, Temple Growth Fund 8-PREF, and then Class 8 members get 80-20 over 8, Class B 70-30. So we treat this um, uh, as an institutional product, institutional investors, high net worth, and we appreciate folks uh, considering to invest with us as a way to enter this strategy. And the fund, by the way, does have a, a few additional strategies. So just to be clear, this fund is not pure hotels to multifamily. We have one office conversion, to multifamily, we have uh, a couple of self-storage uh, deals and some distressed debt. Talk about New York City. So I like to invest in New York City, but in distressed commercial debt. <laughs> I don't want. I want to. I don't want to buy overpriced assets with a lot of uncertainty. I would. Rather, I would rather buy first lien mortgage um, for seven, eight million dollars with the collateral being fifteen million dollars. So that's the way to play uncertain market if you can buy distressed debt. Uh, so it's a different strategy completely but we like that as a part of overall fund diversification does that make sense
0: yeah no the diversification piece it, it i think it resonates with a lot of people the cool piece was is you, you brought home something that we've all seen you know we, we've all driven through a town and saw a ramada we've all been to a college town that had older hotels that looked like they were just kind of nobody was there and we could picture like oh what if i did this here could i do that in my small town and turn this studio apartment complex or this extended stay hotel into student housing and what does that generate and i've i've had probably three of those type deals run across my desk in the last five years where guys like hey man if we could put together this money and do this and i'm like it's so far out of my normal wheelhouse that it just it it wasn't it wasn't something that i'm not gonna say it didn't intrigue me or didn't make sense it was just like man i don't even know where to get started on that like i'm thinking in my head do you have a kitchen like how do you make the kitchen you know the getting into the nuts and bolts when Really, the numbers probably worked. It just—it was so far out of the conversion that that piece was out of my, my wheelhouse that didn't make sense to me. But now, I have yeah, to it's come. a great
2: comment. Uh, I, it requires specialization. People have asked me, so what's the risk of these projects? Right? I mean, rewards are potentially very strong. We just actually had one full cycle hotel that just came back, and in 21 months, our investment made 2.2x on the money. It was like 73% IRR. And I'm not saying this to promote this strategy. It just happened to be a really good successful project and it worked out to be that way. So there's a great upside if things go really well, but most of them are underwritten for, you know, low to mid 20s type of return. So let me go, but let me state this. I I don't want people to think, hey, this is the easiest thing after the slice of bread. And you can just go and do it. Yes, if you are an an expert operator, if you have uh, capability to do all the construction, if you have uh, experience um, managing these type of projects, uh, potentially it's a project for you. But let me just mention a couple of quick risks. So these type of projects have, could have substantial cost and, and, and time associated with them. So having sufficient budget and being able to execute within the timeline and under the cost is a, is a big, big uh, risk. And, and risk mitigation requires very conservative financing and, and ton of experience and uh, I mentioned zoning is a key thing. So before you go do the thing, make sure you do a feasibility study. Make sure you can actually convert this before you buy it. Um, and then um, uh, location is the key. Real estate is all about location, location, location. If you pick the right location, even if you're paying somewhat of a higher price, you may wind up with a better asset than getting a cheap deal somewhere in the boonies. Just because you got a good deal on, on, on acquisition doesn't mean people want to live there. So, yeah. These kind of things are very important considerations.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's great to look at all pieces of that, and it's you're right. You know, just because it's a good deal in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean that it's going to make sense as an affordable place for people to live inside of a an area they want to be. And that's that's great. And it's probably one of the best things about having people that are competent fund managers is that they understand that for you, and you don't have to learn every intricacy. You can be diversified in many things, like you you talked about um, the, the commercial debt. Uh, mortgages being firstly mortgage holders uh, the self storage and then you've talked about the hotel conversions which all different asset niches in a different place but you know you can be a part of that and diversify across all of that at one in one place
2: yeah exactly I, I appreciate uh, the wisdom and that's this is how I think this is what I do day in and day out uh, I very much love my my kind of um, I don't call it work it's my, <laughs> my passion I, I love this. So um, diversification is a natural element of the investing. If you um, if you don't diversify, hey, you could be very successful. You can hit a couple of home runs, or you can get wiped out. And uh, as a fund manager, my job number one is to avoid roller coaster riding, and uh, ensure as much as possible smooth sailing. And um, so by the way, one uh, interesting fact, and again, completely unrelated, but um, when I talk about the fun, I have this, my most favorite slide in the whole presentation, I show Brooklyn Cyclone. It's the oldest wooden roller coaster in the United States. And I've, I've, I've ridden it. And after riding it a few times, I decided, hey, listen, this is not for me. And um, <laughs> so if you like roller coaster rides, don't diversify. If you want to get a little bit more uh, predictable returns and a little bit more smooth sailing, consider. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great
0: advice. Now, if I could ask you our, our avatar or our client is typically a successful in corporate America, has kind of a side hustle, want to be an entrepreneur, or they're a full-time land investor and they're growing their business and looking for opportunities to diversify outside of that. For a new investor or a newer person in the, the world of real estate and different niches, what, what advice
2: would you give them? So it's a great question. We have many investors who are, are professionals in other fields. We have many dentist investors, we have many IT professionals. And they, it's it's their first investment outside of the kind of Wall Street. And it is a little bit of a scary journey because uh, you, you're used to buying your traditional investment vehicles, mutual funds, stocks. Bonds. Well, I don't know who buys bonds now. It's one of the worst investments today and in, with what's going on out there. But let's just say you, you're a Wall Street person and you have concerns about how high the market is and you want to diversify. Uh, you you got to sort of get to know, like, and trust people you are going to invest with. I can't stress it any other way. Very hard to invest. And we do the same thing. When I get shiny objects offers from, from the internet or any introductions without kind of a strong referral chain i don't know who they are very hard to invest so uh the problems i'm solving to make my investment decisions are very similar to a lot of investors when they look at me as a fund manager and my team and, and another um uh, you know similar products it's all about um building trust so i think the key first step is to um learn who do you like who do you want to consider investing with spend time chatting with them Learning uh, how they make money. What what I what I hate the most is when people give you great returns, but you can't understand how they make money. That's a <laughs> danger number one, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, Bernie Madoff became uh, uh, so successful when people you know, de- decided to abdicate their uh, uh, their investing. Yeah, be a little bit more active. It's it's still you're looking for a passive investment, but uh, do your due diligence um, and. Um, There are a number of interesting, uh, you know, we could talk about this. What what, what makes a a good fund or fund manager? Should they use internal administration or external? I mean, we like external because we want third-party books to be done by third-party administrator. What is financial strategies? All those things matter. Um, So the advice is uh, slow down. Mm -hmm. Slow down and learn uh, who you sort of pick who you want to invest with and then kind of move uh, slowly and um, diversify. It, it, there's, there's just not enough uh, said about that. Uh, it, it's a simple concept, but people fall in love with a, a project or, or a sponsor and they write him a big check and there's a problem. So yep. find a few folks, um, maybe three, four, five. Uh, write a small check to each one and see how they do. I don't know. I don't know who else. Well, build the relationship over time. Don't expect to find a rock star overnight. You, you, you have to um, get to know uh, you click with a person. We do the same thing with investing, by the way. Before we write a check, uh, if we don't know the sponsor, we try to establish the chain. And if we can't establish the chain, we go very slowly, if if if, if at all. So, cool. was
1: well, Just kind of going on that uh, whole new investor doing this the first time. They find a syndicator, right? They find someone who's they're gonna they want to invest money with. What should they be asking them? How do you know if someone makes a is a good syndicator? Like, what are some questions we can
2: figure well, that, this out? they they're critical. Cri- By the way, these are great questions, guys. I really appreciate the with the wisdom of the questions, right? Often, it's not about the answer; it's about the question because the, the the question makes you think. Once you start thinking, you, you 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 learn through questions, not through answers. So there are three primarily primary, primary um, things that consider before you invest with, with into a syndication or a fund. Number one, is it a good sponsor? Number two, is this a good deal? Are the economics on the deal level strong? Is the risk adjusted return on the deal level is good? And the third element, I wanted to mention this because people ignore this one, and this is probably just as important as the first two, is are they good economics for the investor? So I see this day in and day, day out. Good sponsors, brilliant marketers put together, good profile, good face, good social media. They find a decent deal and they offer pretty crappy economics for the investors and good economics for them. <laughs> I mean this with all due respect. Many guys that do this, I know really well. Yeah, no, I'm, so. I'm
0: curious what your, your, like. What that means. Like, If you could expand on that just a little bit more, what a crappy economics is for the investor?
2: So uh, when I started this th- with this recording a little bit earlier I mentioned our funds have institutional waterfall this 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 term waterfall it, it, mm-hmm. it's just a fancy term for the uh, economics uh, on a deal investment so mm-hmm. it, as investors take in risk they need to receive an adequate risk adjusted return so gotcha. when you have a fund that or a syndication that uh, charges kind of light fees up front and pays a good pref and has a split like I mentioned, 80-20 in the favor of investor. That's a good institutional product. Uh, when, I, when I see one extreme on the other side is, hey, investors get 8% PREF and then they get one-tenth of the upside. The sponsor keeps 90%, right? So what happens in these type of deals, when the deal works out to be a super strong deal, it becomes like a home run and it generates 70% return. Investors will get the 8% PREF and one-tenth of the 70 and they get 15% total. They feel awesome. I got 15% return. Well, the the sponsor just made 63% for for himself or herself. So what happened, what's wrong with that picture? That picture is when there is a home run deal. Investors never capture that home run deal. They can never get to that 73% because 90% of that goes to the sponsor. And when the deal goes poof, when things go bad, they lose all their money. Mm-hmm. So this is what generates... In a diversified portfolio, the right risk-adjusted return. When there are great deals, investors capture a big upside, and when there are strikeouts, they average out to be okay. So this is a key consideration on the on the um, economics on the deal level. Uh, and obviously, I've seen funds where the uh, uh, the fund managers charge obscene fees six, seven, eight percent just to buy an asset. You know, two one percent, one and a half, two 1.5%, 2% may be reasonable. Can somebody charge 6% to 8%? They can. Is it a good deal for investors? No. You're paying too much to the fund manager up front. The alignment of interest is missing. The best alignment of interest when the fund manager or syndicator gets their payday when the deal sells and or refinances and gets investors substantial return. So, and what, and what makes a good sponsor? Well, obviously, high integrity, good communication expertise um uh, a good network of uh, deals so the, uh, ability to to source uh strong deals all those things make me a good sponsor and um there are plenty of good sponsors that over time have gravitated to offer a little bit less uh to investors and more to themselves that's a natural progression of good sponsors is there anything wrong with them no so i'll give you an example we have a deal with one sponsor very strong sponsor that gave us 12% preferred return. And you guys know how these things work. Mm -hmm. And we had 80% of the upside, 80, 20 over 12. It was a phenomenal deal. We have the deal actually in the fund and that's a home run deal. And then a few months later, they brought us a different deal with 10% pref and 50, 50 over 10. And I came back to him and said, why are you offering this versus the other deal? said, well, (laughs) the other deal flew off the shelf. You got lucky, You, you got what you got in that deal. And uh, the people are chasing me and offering me a lot of money. Why do I need to give them those great terms? And that's (laughs) a valid point. But the sponsor is actually a strong institutional sponsor. They de-risk some of the projects through their experience. So it's kind of a balancing act. Uh, But finding good sponsors is important. And just watch out that good sponsors don't start offering mediocre projects. And when that happens, then you have to pay attention to that too, not just the sponsor uh, themselves.
0: Wow. And that's a that's a lot right there mm-hmm. to kind of take in. And I'm and i I'm glad you broke it down like you did because I think it gives us all something to think about because as our clients start to build more wealth, they start to look into syndications and funds to diversify because who wants to chase deals every day for the rest of their life? They want to get their money working for them. And that's kind of the the, the opportunity you have and those great words of wisdom there. Adam, you got anything you want
1: to finalize with him? I don't think so. I've given us a ton of good information. Cool. It's been, it's been detailed.
0: Very. I love it. I love it. And so I I would take that as a key takeaway for somebody. If you're wanting to look for a good sponsor or a syndicator is somebody that can explain it to you at a level that you may not have to know much about it to actually understand what you're looking for. Big Mike, we appreciate it, man.
2: Thank you guys. I appreciate you. Um, I do have a book out on this, not selling the book. I'm I'm telling you, I don't need it. I don't need the sales, but I do have the book called how to choose smart real estate investment fund on Amazon. And I actually ask you, the book is about 10 questions to ask before someone invests in a fund or a syndication. So just search on my last name, uh, Mike Zlatnik on Amazon, you'll find the book. Uh, I'm working on version 2.0 of the book, so hopefully you'll see that uh, soon. And again, yeah. the, the the final couple of comments. If folks want to learn more and they're bored, they got nothing else to listen to, they can go to BigMikeFund.com. Listen to the podcast. I have some really interesting guests. A number of them are sponsors and syndicated. You can actually pick some nuggets from the discussions. And um, if you mistype it, if you go to bigmikefun.com, I promise it's not a kinky site.
1: Cool. All right, guys, check out the book. Check out the podcast. Check out his website. And uh, as always for us, go to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Give us a like, follow, subscribe. And then go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to wherever else you're listening to us. Like, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We appreciate it. We love you. See you next Friday. Cool. See you, guys.
2: Thank you, Mike. That was great. Hope it's helpful.